0: Well, hey, everyone, good morning. Good morning, and welcome to Resurrection City Church. Uh, my name is Joel, and I am one of the pastors here at Res City. Uh, thankful to have you joining us here in worship. Uh, this Sunday morning, uh, whether you are a regular attender or you're a visitor here. I know we have a lot of people who are visiting because of the baby dedications. Um, just want to say thanks to you because you are family or, or friends of people who we care about here at Res City who play an important role in their life um, and in the lives of uh, the children who are dedicated today. So we just want to say thank you to you for being a part of their lives, for coming to this, um, being a part of it. We believe it's, uh, it's an important moment um, in their lives and the lives of the children. So Thank you for joining us, and also happy Mother's Day uh, to all, all the mothers in the room. Uh, every year at Red City, we have more moms uh, <laughs> in the stage of life we're in. Uh, and like Julie said as well, um, I know that there are those here who desire to be moms who aren't uh, at the moment, and just to let you know, we do grieve with you as well. Um, and we, we don't want to forget that uh, on this Sunday morning. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to hop into our sermon today. Lord, we thank you for gathering us here together uh, for whatever reason it is that we might be in this room or watching here online or listening to this sermon uh, later on, God. Um, you, you know the hearts of all of us. You know uh, where we're coming from, what state we're in, God. Just pray that you be with us this morning as we come before your word, as we learn more about your son uh, and what it looks like to walk with him through, through our lives, God. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we are in, uh, we're kind of coming up to the end of a sermon series that we've been doing throughout the, uh, throughout the beginning of 2022 here, and it's called He Refreshes My Soul. Uh, and it is a sermon series um, talking about what it looks like for us to walk with the shepherd, and we're kind of using Psalm 23, uh, that famous psalm about uh, the, sh- the shepherd who uh, guides the sheep. We are uh, kind of using that as our springboard uh, into this series. And we've been talking about different habits, disciplines, practices, uh, just things that we use that we are walk when we walk with the shepherd, sort of rhythms that we have as we kind of do that constant daily lifelong walk uh, with the shepherd that help us to be refreshed. And we know we're in a season where a lot of people are feeling, uh, you know, exhausted, tired, hurting in some way from the last couple of years. They've been a pretty intense couple of years, and so we have just kind of wanted to really dig into that and ask, what does it mean to be refreshed as we walk with the shepherd? And every Sunday for the last couple of centuries, ever since Jesus came to earth and did his thing, um, Christians have been gathering together uh, on Sundays like we are doing right now um, and like is happening all across the globe right now. There must be something about that weekly gathering that contributed to, uh, contributes to our walk with the shepherd uh, that we could even say is sort of necessary to it. And today I kinda wanna talk a little bit about that. Uh, I wanna start, you know, like for us at Red City, I'll tell you about how the sausage is made here, the sausage being Sunday mornings. Um, we're, we're intentional with the stuff that we do in, in a worship service. It's not kind of just a hodgepodge of, of random things thrown together. We, we put a lot of thought into what we do and why we do them. And, um, you know, I think a lot of times, especially Protestants, like, you know, which we are a Protestant church, a lot of times we maybe can think of church like a, like a TED Talk with some musical guests right? Just kind of like the sermon, you know? maybe, like what I'm doing up here is kind of the main reason we gather. Do you come to hear some teaching or be encouraged or or whatever it is? And I would actually say that's not right. Um, I would say that while the sermon is, it is the longest part uh, of the service, um, I would say it's just one equal part to all that we do. It's not like this is the main course and everything else is appetizers or desserts to it. Um, And so for us, there are five elements that go into uh, a Res City Sunday morning. And I think most churches, you would say, have some degree of these five elements uh, that go into it. So first off, we have gathering. The, the, the gathering of God's people to come together in one space. And, and we, we celebrate that here as we're all in one room, kind of partaking in the same service together, partaking in, in the worship, the communion that we'll be doing here in a little bit, and also just in the fellowship that takes place before and after church. We, we actually view all that as very essential uh, to what we're trying to accomplish on Sunday mornings. Then there's, we could call it exhortation, which is, is the sermon here, or reflection and meditation on God's word. There is a commissioning. You'll notice every week at the end, we, we send you off with a benediction into your week. Okay, that's very intentional. We, we pray for you. We want you to go out from the worship uh, gathering, blessed by God, into whatever, whatever He has for you uh, on your given week. Um, number four is worship, which is typically expressed through song. And then last, we could call it just sharing in Jesus. Uh, and and I would say communion and prayer and also the worship kind of fit into that as well. Now, all of these things help us to live the essential parts of the gospel story every week. Now, I want to focus today uh, specifically on those last two things I talked about, worship and then that idea of sharing in Jesus. I'm kind of conflating them into one idea, maybe. And I want to connect them uh, into the series that we're in right now. Uh, as we talk about rhythms of worship to refresh and revitalize us, okay? Uh, Or you could call it, like, why do we go to church on Sundays and do some of the things that we do? And how does that help lead us to the wholeness of walking with the Good Shepherd? Okay, Um, you can do worship on your own, but I think, you know, there's something about the worship that we do on Sunday mornings that is, is vital to us. So to start, before we really get into it, we have to ask ourselves, what actually is worship? Like, what do we mean by that word? It's a word that gets used a lot, but I think we don't pause enough to really think about what it even means before we do it. Now, literally, the word worship comes, uh, it means worth-ship, and it comes from the old English word, weorth. Um, And and that literally means something of value, a price, or a price that is paid, uh, worth, worthiness, or merit. So it has everything to do with acknowledging the value of something. Now for us, we're putting value into God's glory, his gospel, his story, his son. All of that is worth our attention, we believe. And we express that in different ways, and we call it worship. Now, now, likewise, and kind of getting at the same idea, the Hebrew word for glory is weight. It's just the same word, kabod, okay? When something is heavy, you have to pay attention to it. I think that's very telling that the, the Hebrew word for glory is the same as just the idea of weight. You're acknowledging the weight of something, okay? If you have like an angry squirrel running directly at you, you're not too worried. But if you have an angry rhinoceros running at you, you might you know, treat that a little bit differently. The main difference is the weight of those two animals, right? You have to pay attention to something when it has a certain weight to it. And in worship, we're doing that. So I would define worship as the acknowledgement of the weight or worth of God in a way that refreshes and revitalizes us. So it's something we do to God or for God, but it's also something that acts upon us. And we'll talk a little bit about that in this this sermon a little bit more here. Now, I think worship... Is, is done in a lot of different ways, okay? And, and so I definitely, we're gonna focus on the element of the, 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 the Sunday gathering that we call worship. Uh, worship is something that happens in all of life, though, I think, and we need to be aware of that. Everything we do is, you know, can be done uh, to the glory of God in acknowledgement of his, his weight or his worth, okay? Um, and I want you to think about what it does to you when you find something of great worth, when you recognize that you have something of great worth, well, really, it gives you a certain vitality, right? It refreshes you, it vitalizes you in some way. If you go home today after church and you, uh, you know, discover that buried in your backyard is a treasure, a ton of money, like the, the, the recognition that, that, that there's that value of something that you now have is gonna vitalize you. Okay? It would change you and the stuff going on around you. You'd forget probably what was going on. You'd probably forget you know the stuff you had planned the rest of the day. Your plans would probably change as you kind of tried to figure out what to do with all this money you just found. Um, you wouldn't have to force any sort of excitement. It would just kind of come to you any anxieties that you might be feeling will probably kind of melt away, especially some anxieties that maybe the money might help out with. Um, and, and I think you, 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 know, you, just, you would go throughout your day a little bit different, refreshed, right? Because of something of value or weight that you had discovered. Now, as we get into Psalm 23, like I said, we've been kind of using this as a springboard for us, uh, for kind of a, a, a talking about how, how we walk with the shepherd. I think we kind of see this sort of worship that we're talking about there. So this is at the end of the psalm in verses five and six. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, this is kind of the way that the psalm gets, you know, capped off at the very end. And I think it's interesting to note here that the sheep is actually coming to the end of this whole story that the psalm is telling us and is still surrounded by enemies. I think it's just kind of interesting. You'd think the sheep in that moment would feel the enemy sort of breathing down their neck. They'd be hyper aware of the fact that enemies still surround them Uh, and they might, you know, these enemies might, might, might soon move to snatch the sheep, to overtake them. There'd be some fear, there'd be some anxiety, uh, some terror, some worry, something like that, right, that would be in the, in, you know, very present in the mind of the sheep. Now, the good shepherd responds to it here, um, but I think it's interesting to note that the shepherd doesn't rush to remove the sheep or even to, uh, you know, d- dispatch of the enemies. He simply prepares a feast for the sheep to draw their attention to, to something else. Now, in the ancient world, a meal like this would be understood as a kind of celebratory thing. Okay, you prepare a feast in, 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 honor to, in order to celebrate something that has taken place. And so the shepherd is saying, here, let's sit down, let's eat good, and let's celebrate and reflect on what's happened so far, even as we're still in the midst of our enemies. If we look back at the rest of the psalm, so we're not going to read the whole thing, but I imagine most of you are pretty familiar with it. Um, what's happened is the sheep has been brought back from wrong paths onto right ones. The sheep had been lost. The shepherd had gone and gotten it, had uh, put it back on right paths, had kept it safe as they'd walked together through uh, the valley of the shadow of death. They had been brought to still waters and fertile plains so that they could eat, uh, eat up. They could have the sort of food and nourishment that they need. In all these situations, the shepherd has guided the sheep and has kept them safe uh, and blessed them with all that they need. And so the sheep's attention is being drawn to that here at the end of the psalm, and the sheep is being called to remember it. Now, I think it's important for us to understand th- this, this point here, okay? Remembering what God has done is a spiritual act. J- just the act of sitting down to remember, to reflect, on who God is, on what He has done is in and of itself, a spiritual thing. to call ourselves back to remembrance, because it connects us to who God is and who we are in that moment. And I think there's a lot of power in that type of remembrance. We'll kind of keep coming back to that idea as we go on here in the sermon, but that's what the sheep is being uh, called to do by God here. And what the sheep exclaims is that "My cup overflows. In that moment. The sheep believes that the goodness and unfailing love of the shepherd will pursue him, will chase after them. Not the enemies, mind you. The enemies are not the thing that the sheep says chases me or pursues me. It's actually God's goodness itself is the thing that's hot on my heels, that is breathing down my neck. I think it's so interesting to see what the sheep is is understanding. Now, Now think about that. I'm generally a positive, pretty optimistic person, but even I'll admit that a lot of times I kind of go through life in certain situations expecting the worst, kind of like I'm being pursued by some misfortune or catastrophe, right? When something good, you know, something goes good, a lot of times I'm like, well, it surely won't go like that next time, right? And maybe you've had something similar in your life where you kind of feel that way. The hope of the psalm, though, is that God's goodness which is here acknowledged in this sort of celebratory meal, would be a constant source of celebration and feasting for us, revitalizing us even when trouble surrounds us, following us around like our shadow. And so this feast here is a worship, is a moment of worship, acknowledgement of the worthiness of the shepherd to be celebrated even in the midst of crisis, being surrounded by enemies. Now, again, like I said, this is something we do you know, to God, to, acknowledge, to let him know that we acknowledge his weight or worth. But this sort of celebration, it does something to us. It revitalizes us. Okay? And this is where we connect with this series as a whole, talking about people. Maybe we need to be refreshed or revitalized worship is something that helps us to do this. And I want to talk about how that happens. Some, so this is a bit of a longer quote, but I remember when I first read this, it really struck with me. It's always kind of stood with me here uh, ever since then. And it's from a guy named Marshall Ganz. He is or was, I'm not totally sure if he's still there, um, a political science professor at Harvard, kind of specializing in the area of like political organizing, leadership, activism, that kind of stuff. Kind of Talking about like, how organizations can accomplish goals, essentially how they can mobilize for activity in the world. And he talks in this section of, one of uh, something that he had written about the important, how important a celebration is to the vitality of organizations. So here's what he says. We do much of our storytelling in celebrations. A celebration is not a party. It is a way that members of a community come together to honor who they are, what they have done, and where they are going, often symbolically. Celebrations may occur at times of sadness, as well as times of great joy. Celebrations provide rituals that allow us to join in enacting a vision of our community, at least in our hearts. Institutions that retain their vitality are rich in celebrations. In the church, for example, mass is celebrated. Harvard's annual celebration is called graduation and lasts an entire week. Storytelling is at its most powerful at beginnings, for individuals, their childhood, uh, for groups, their formation, for movements, their launching, and for nations, their founding. Celebrations are a way we interpret important events, we recognize important contributions, acknowledge a common identity, and deepen our sense of community. The way we interpret these moments begins to establish norms, create expectations, and shape patterns of behavior which then influence all subsequent development. We draw on them again and again. Nations institutionalize their founding story as a renewable source of guidance and inspiration. Most faith traditions enact a weekly retelling of their story of redemption, usually rooted in their founding. Well-told stories help turn moments of great crisis into moments of new beginnings. Uh, Celebration and worship are fundamentally a telling of a story, uh, a story that we know, and the remembrance, the going back to that story is something that transforms us in a given moment, okay? And he talked about how faith traditions retell their story weekly. I think that's true. It's what we want to do here at Res City, because when we bring ourselves back to the story, it doesn't matter what enemies surround us, we can have vitality, the story is no longer, I'm about to be uh, captured, I'm about about to be torn apart by these enemies. The story is now of the good shepherd who walks with us, who prepares a feast for us, even in the midst of these enemies. The story of the gospel is one that we gather around every single week as a church, and we remember and worship God for it, which fills us up, or it's supposed to fill us up every week. As we go out, again, as we leave that gathering, we're supposed to be revitalized by the retelling of the story of the gospel and letting that do something to us. The story that Jesus is the shepherd who has come to gather the lost sheep of Israel and the world to set them on paths of righteousness— And lead them beside still waters, all of that stuff, to guide us through the valley of the shadow of death. And it's that story that we believe that revitalizes the world. So what we need to do is we need to go back to it constantly as a source of energy and revitalization for ourselves. So we celebrate it. We tune ourselves to it. Because, as he said in that quote, institutions that retain their vitality are rich in celebrations. Now, he's talking about institutions here, and this is certainly true of of the institution of the church, but I think it's also true for us as individuals as well. If we have no reassuring, regular, celebratory remembrance of the story of the shepherd, we will greatly struggle to have the vitality that we look for in our walk with the shepherd let me say that again, if there's no reassuring, regular, celebratory remembrance of the story of the shepherd, we will greatly struggle to have vitality in our walk with him. Okay? You will grow stale if you have no worship and celebration. The enemies will seem too strong to be overcome. You will lose sight of the shepherd and his goodness that follows you around. You will forget the story of the God you're invited to live in. So, we have to pull ourselves up to that table of the feast in Psalm 23, and we have to eat of it regularly, okay? The food has been prepared for us. We just have to sit down, load the plate up, and enjoy it to remind ourselves through worship and celebration that His goodness is chasing us. Now, I actually think it's probably fairly a common thing for us, at least at some point in our life, for people to feel stale in their walk with the shepherd, okay? I'm not, like, knocking that. I would say I've felt that, for sure, uh, often in my life, perhaps. Um, My guess is some of you might even be feeling that in this room or listening to this online or or later on here. Now, when I think of the word stale, I'm going to guess you are like me and you think of bread. I can't think of anything else, actually, off the top of my head that I think of other than bread, Okay well, how does bread become stale? I realize I am like, I'm highly oversimplifying this, okay? If some scientists were here, they'd tell me that this is not what, you know, what actually it means for bread to go stale. But essentially, uh, bread becomes stale because you don't do anything with it for a while. You just let it sit on your counter and just kind of get stale. Okay, you, you maybe see it sitting there at one point eventually and you think I should probably do something about this. So you get the knife out and you break the knife because the bread is rock hard, right? Okay, the, and then you're like, well, what good is this thing? It's rock hard. I can't do anything with it anymore. And so like, what good is it now? Consider this, okay? If stale is a word that you would use to describe your faith, there's a good chance, I'm not saying it's th- this is the only explanation for it, but there's a good chance it's because you haven't done anything meaningful with it in a while. Just like staring at the bread uh, that's sitting on a counter doesn't do anything with it, merely acknowledging your faith is, you know, that your faith is there is not going to give it vitality. You have to engage with it in some way. Now, I have a theory, okay? This is just a theory. I've never scientifically researched this. I doubt I ever will, okay? Um, But I have a theory as to why sometimes our walks with the shepherd can get stale, okay? Um, See if this resonates with you at all. I know a lot of times people come to follow the shepherd, uh, or you, you know, maybe you, you do already follow the shepherd, or you have some moment of growth in your life. Maybe it's, it, it's some time like, in college you know, uh, 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 um, as part of like, a campus ministry, or, or some season that you had you know, being a part of a great church, some discipler, um, maybe some hard season actually caused some major growth in your life. That actually happened to me. One of like, the most sort of uh, biggest moments, the biggest leaps forward I had in my faith came from a really hard season of life. Um, okay? Maybe you've had some moment like that in your life and you experienced some big leap forward. Just some sort of like, you know, really large growth in your faith in some way. And and that momentum it carried you for a little while. But then when the season ended, maybe you kept trying to walk with the shepherd on the momentum of that great big leap. You just were kind of coasting on it. You kind of felt like hey, this season of life I had was good enough to get me to where I wanna be and I can check out for a little while now here, okay? And so so maybe we not doing much to keep us moving forward because we thought the season of, of momentum would be enough, we start to at a certain point find ourselves feeling stale, okay? And so while we might come to church often, we might read our Bibles, we might pray, We aren't truly regularly connecting ourselves to the story that are being told in those things. There's no worship that's a part of it. It's just coasting on worship that happened at some other point in your life. And meanwhile, we've fixed our attention on other things like a career, a a, a relationship, uh, kids, vacations, a, a sports team, something else to try to get vitality from or to focus our attention on. And, and church and worship have just kind of come to supplement those things. Coasting on, a, on the momentum of a big season is kind of like, you know, going to Golden Corral and just pigging out and thinking, I'm good for a month now. All right? You can't do that, right? You need to, you need to eat regularly in order to sort of have, uh, you know, to be revitalized, okay? And that's what we have to do. Okay? Even if we do have a great leap forward in some season of our life, we have to keep coming back to the meal in worship regularly, feasting on this meal provided by the Savior in order to be regularly revitalized and tune ourselves like an instrument needs to be tuned regularly back to the gospel. In other words, we have to engage with, 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 with Jesus. And I think Sunday mornings is one of the main places that has been designed for us to do that. The feast is there. It has been prepared for us, a celebration of the gospel to revitalize us. Let's eat the meal. Let's not just look at it. Let's not skip it and say we don't need it. Let's eat up, okay? This is why church, I think, uh, the Sunday morning event is such an a central part to the walk with the shepherd because it's the main place where we are revitalized in worship, in celebration, in storytelling, where we live that story out every single week. And there's a couple of elements I want to focus on here as we kind of, uh, you know, continue on with the the sermon here. I want to talk about actually the music in worship and then communion, which are two of the main places where this takes place. So let's start out here with music. Now, at Red City, we call this corporate worship. Again, worship is not just a song, okay, or, or a time of the week where you listen to some other people play some music. Worship is something we do with all of our lives. But singing together is an intentional, in an intentional setting is an important way that we do that. And here's why. Okay, first of all, we, it's, it's well known that singing something or learning a tune helps us to memorize things easily. Okay? Think about some song you heard as a kid that you still can like, recite perfectly today. Okay? There's a reason that like, we get taught the ABC song in song form. I would guess we would forget the, you know, the ABCs unless we had the song with it. My, my, my brain immediately goes to the ABC song whenever I try to think of like, you know, uh, uh, the, the alphabet. It just, it's, it's so much easier to remember that. There's something about music. Um, you, I will know that song until I die, right? But think about how much space in your brain is taken up by useless lyrics to songs you listen to on the radio that are always going to be there. No matter what you do, you will always remember Bye, 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 or some other random song that you heard as a kid that was really catchy, okay? You can't help it. It's just the way it is. That's, that's what music does to us. So I think it's easier for us to remember the story and reflect it back to God when we know the words and the story that's being told in worship songs like the back of our hand, because songs are more easily memorized than anything else. When a tune is sort of noodling around in your head, even unthinkingly, you can stop to consider its words and it's something that will inspire you. It's a lot easier than, you know, in the moment, maybe going and looking up a Bible verse or, you know, thinking back to something. The song is really just very present in your head. And like I said, remembering, I think, is in of itself a spiritual act. So there's, that's one aspect of music. But secondly, music, it's powerful, and Plato, he, he, he recognized this even back in his time, you know, far, far, uh, you know uh, f- far back in history. Rhythm and harmony find their way into the inward places of the soul on which they fasten, imparting grace. I love this image because it's true, right? A song has a way of burrowing its way into our heart in the way that only music can really do to impart some grace to us, to impart some truth to us. And that's going to happen, you know, whether it's, it's worship music or not. And so it's important that we are having the type of uh, worship that dr- draws us to remembrance, to celebration, to worship, so that that can be doing the same to us. Just really recently, I had this happen to me. Um, I was kind of going back through some old playlists on Spotify, and I came across a song that I had loved uh, back in college. It's called All My Tears by Julie Miller. And, and this, this chorus here just uh, really hit me in a way that was really weird. I, I couldn't explain it, but it really just hit me. When I go, don't cry for me. In my father's arms I'll be. The wounds this world left on my soul will all be healed, and I'll be whole." sun and moon will be replaced with the light of Jesus' face. And I will not be ashamed for my Savior knows my name. It don't matter where you bury me, I'll be home and I'll be free. It don't matter where I lay, all my tears be washed away. Um, the, the tune of this song has stuck with me, but the lyrics do as well because they kind of can speak in a lot of different ways, to a lot of different situations you might be in. The hope of what we wait for, of, of sun and moon being replaced by the glory of Jesus himself. Um, and, and, or, or, or thinking back on the season of life that I was in when I listened to this song in a regular space. Remember, I said there was a season of growth I had in my life that was a very hard season. This is one of the songs I listen to often. And if you really think about it, it's, it's a lot like Psalm 23, right? It acknowledges. The wounds of this world, um, you know, a life that we live in a broken place filled with pain, suffering, injustice, war, famine, all the different things we see on news or experience on a regular basis. It acknowledges all of those things, but it says in those moments, I can find joy, I can find hope in those moments because my Savior knows my name. Songs of celebration, especially I think in the midst of hardship, are really powerful. They center us. They draw us to acknowledgement of the shepherd and what he's done and his promises for us, to tell us the story of his faithfulness to ourselves over and over again and to revitalize us even when surrounded by enemies. But they aren't just helpful, I think, in songs of praise. Okay, You'll notice at Rest City, we try to balance out our worship and not just playing songs like this, a, a praise of happiness, of joy. We also try to play uh, some songs of lament, um, and I want to show a video clip, actually. It's from a, a guy named Sung Chan Ra. He's a, a professor at a seminary. Um, I'm blanking on which one it is right now, but he's talking, essentially, why we suck at lamenting in the church, and especially in our worship, and why we need to incorporate it into our worship. So you guys can play the video.
1: Factors in the absence of lament in especially the American and Western church is a very deeply rooted sense of triumphalism and exceptionalism that we find ourselves expressing in both the American church and in American society. If we believe that we are an exceptional people and a people that are specially favored by God over all other people, then we should just continue to be victorious and triumphant and successful. Uh, the reality in a fallen world, a broken world, it's not the way life works. There are places where we struggle, we experience pain, we experience suffering. So sometimes our worship life can be an analgesic that covers up wounds. We're not being honest, we're not being truthful, we're not speaking truth to God nor to each other. And so part of the appeal and the need for lament is to say, we are missing this in our life. Our gospel, our understanding of who God is, is incomplete unless we know that there is lament along with celebration, that there is suffering along with triumph. And there's a list that's published uh, by the CCLI company that publishes the the top most uh, popular uh, contemporary worship songs that are sung in the United States. And I would say that maybe five, maybe 10, five to 10 out of the top 100 songs, uh, contemporary worship songs would be lament songs or lament songs. If you look at a typical hymnal, 85% of our hymns are more likely to be hymns about triumph and victory. And only about 15% of our hymns are likely to be hymns about lament and suffering. So what we're seeing is a lost discipline. We're seeing something that in the scriptures we see over and over again. People who suffer, who are able to cry out in their worship to God in lament. But one of the ways that lament operates, especially in a corporate setting, is to give voice to the voiceless or give voice to those who have been victims of injustice, who have been oppressed by the powers of the world. And they have nowhere else to turn except to God. And so when the enemy is attacking... Uh, when there is injustice in the streets, when there's poverty and hunger, uh, and there's all sorts of things that God did not intend for our world, um, our recourse is lament. Our recourse is to turn to God and to cry out to Him in lament. So when lament is lost as a discipline in our church life, what we're doing is we're silencing those whose voices we need to hear. So I think what lament does is it opens the door to another narrative, another story, uh, another pr- a point of view, another experience in history that says uh, we can hear these stories and our lives will be better, our lives will be transformed. We will know more about God. So one of the things we had to do was to introduce stories and experiences that indicated that there is another world that is out there. Okay, so
0: you hear him talking about the need for regular lament in our worship life. Um, songs of lament give words to the aches of weary hearts and hard situations, speaking truth into it and to God, letting them be known to ourselves, to God, even to others around us. But, um, you know, I, listen, I think there's a, there's a, it's a very American thing probably to, you know, have something you're grieving over or some pain you're feeling and to not let anyone else know about it, including God right? Uh, there's a better way to live than that, and that's to, to be honest with ourselves. To, like he said in the video, to speak truth uh, to situations, to say, actually, I'm not feeling great right now. Actually, things are hard. Actually, it's hard maybe for me to trust God right now. Um, actually, I'm longing, I'm waiting for the shepherd to deliver me. That's going to be true of us too, and it's important that we reflect that to God in our worship. And also— just as songs that are songs of hope and praise in hard times, like I talked about earlier, root us in the story, songs of lament in good times, even when we're maybe not quite feeling that way ourselves, take us out of the mirage of sort of shallow positivity that we find ourselves living in uh, and that many uh, of the world uh, uh, live, live in around us and, and kind of brings us back to the, you know, the fact that it is a broken world that we live in. It helps us to remember that while uh, the shepherd still walks with us, we still do walk in the shadow of death. Okay? We still await the shepherd to uh, once and finally decisively act uh, to make all things new again. We're not living in that space now, and we've got to be honest about that and remind ourselves of it. Songs of, uh, uh, of lament help us to do that. Um, and even when we don't feel its sting, it reminds us that others around us probably do. You know, you might be sitting in worship some Sunday morning, we're playing a, a psalm, a, a song of lament, and you're thinking, this doesn't, you know, speak ring true with me in the moment. But there are probably people in the room right now who it does. And now I can be reminded of that. I can be attuned to them. I can, uh, you know, empathize with them. I can love them and not ignore them because I'm reminded of this through my worship. I'm rooted back in this story again. So I think good worship both in, you know, includes both of these things, both praise and lament, and it requires a sort of balance of those two things. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about communion. Okay? This is something we do every single Sunday at Res City because, again, we think it's really important to tell the story of what's taking place in communion. So after every uh, sermon, uh, as a part of our last worship set, we invite everyone to uh, the feast, Uh, 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 of of the Lord's Supper. And there are four elements uh, to what is taking place in communion. When we look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians in a couple different places. So we'll talk about these real quick. Fellowship, participation, remembrance, and proclamation. Okay, so let me talk about those four things. First of all, 1 Corinthians 10, 16 to 17. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. So first of all, fellowship. We, all taking from the same loaf, symbolically sometimes, remind ourselves that we are one body. We are one people gathered together partaking in the same thing. We are commonly united as people who are coming to Jesus to partake in him. um, That There's no hierarchy of of class, uh, of sex, of anything else, uh, of race, uh, of socioeconomic status. Uh, None of those things uh, matter. We're all equal participants in the grace of of the shepherd. And communion is supposed to remind us of that and reinforces to us who our brothers and sisters in Jesus are. Now, we normally like to actually have everyone take out of a, a common loaf. COVID has kind of wrecked that here recently for us, but we, we are planning to get back to that hopefully sometime soon where we actually will you know, symbolically take from the same loaf of bread together because of this idea. Second Paul here talks about participation with Jesus. Well, what does that mean? Okay. I think, first of all, it means a sort of just vital connection to him, a partnering with him uh, in his death and our own sufferings, that they will be redeemed just like him, that we live the story like him, uh, he does, and we are being remade into his image even now. Paul talks about that in other places, okay? Now, there might be a mysterious element to that too. I think it's worth us, you know, uh, admitting that, that there, in some way, we actually connect to Jesus in some deep, mysterious way when we take communion. Now I think the more mysterious we keep it, the better. I think you know our Catholic brothers and sisters would disagree with us. They would like really like to very you know uh, uh, strongly define what's taking place in that, um, and I think we want to keep the mystery there. But I think it's fair uh, to acknowledge something spiritual is taking place, even to the degree that remembrance is a spiritual act, like we've been talking about. Okay. And that gets us to this next part. A little bit later on in in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So remembrance, drawing our attention to Jesus and the story we live in and applying it to whatever we came in with. We direct our hearts to that story every single week. And then finally, proclamation, like in verse 26, we proclaim to ourselves and to the world that dares to hear it that Christ has been crucified and that his death has created a way for his sheep to be whole, to be set free, to be washed clean, to be made new, and to be revitalized. Now, I can't guarantee you that you won't go through stale or dry, st- dry stretches in your walk with the shepherd. I think it's actually to be expected. Okay? God is mysterious. We will sometimes experience the dark night of the soul, as some Christian writers have talked about. Uh, wilderness stories are common in the life of Israel. Okay? They happen to us now as well. Time in the wilderness. There may be times where worship doesn't quite hit you the same, where the spiritual act of remembering doesn't revitalize you as fully as it does in other seasons. But guess what? There are days where that small little bit that you might be getting out of it to get you through the day is all that you need. And what you need to do the next day is to come back to the table and the next day after that and the Sunday after that and the Sunday after that as well. Continually coming back to the table, having even small pieces of remembrance of revitalization so that we can keep walking with the shepherd. Because the walk with the shepherd is just that. It is a walk. It's a continuous one. It's not a one-day flight that gets us all the way there in a couple hours. It's something we do for our whole lives, a lifelong, well-paced walk that sometimes speeds up, sometimes slows down, but it is constantly moving. And along the way, the shepherd prepares a feast for us, no matter what surrounds us, as a reminder that his goodness chases us. So we're going to enter into a time of worship and communion right now. And as you do it, uh, take that time to be revitalized, to to, uh, put yourself in the story, to celebrate that and be made new, to be revitalized as you inhabit that story so that you can be made new as you go back out. Maybe you're going to somewhere where you feel surrounded by enemies after you leave church today. I don't know. I don't know what season you're in, but be revitalized by taking of the cup and, and the body that has been broken for us, and engaging with God in some worship, okay? I'm gonna pray. If you would like prayer, we'll have people in the back who'll be willing to pray for you too, no matter what season you're in. Please, uh, please avail yourself of that opportunity. Let's pray though. Lord, we thank you that you have prepared a feast f- for us, even in the midst of our enemies, and that your goodness chases us wherever we go. That's the story that we live in because we live in the story of your son Jesus. God, I pray that you'd help us to to live in that story, to walk in it, and to be revitalized, uh, not just on a weekly basis here, but Lord, on a regular basis, um, so that we may uh, walk with joy with your shepherd. No matter what uh, dark uh, valleys we may walk through, no matter what enemies may surround us, God, help us to know that you are with us. You have made us new, you've set us free, and you ultimately promise us one day uh, that all things will be redeemed, God. As we live in that story and we await that time now, God, be with us um, even in the difficult times of our lives where that feels less true, God. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.